I struggle with the idea of the Lord of glory, the King of all creation, the eternal God, as a boy. If you're a boy, there are boys here, uh, don't be offended at what I'm about to say. Uh, I was once a boy. Uh, I fathered three boys and uh, have grandfathered, I guess that's the right word, uh, six boys. Uh, one is knocking on the door, door of manhood, but, but they're all still boys to me. Babies are cute, they're cuddly, they're lovable. I have no problem with the infant Jesus, baby Jesus. Boys, on the other hand, often aren't those things. Boys get dirty and smelly. They're often boisterous, energetic, overactive, clumsy, destructive, annoying. Ask their sisters. Sometimes repulsive. Again, ask their sisters. Often they're un- overconfident of their abilities. And the list goes on. Now, there are good things to be said about boys. Don't, don't misunderstand me, but that's just, that's boys. And I have difficulties at times as I wrestle through things with that conception of God incarnate. God come in flesh. Baby flesh? Yes. Human flesh, man flesh, yes. Boy flesh, I promise you I struggle. That said, we're at this point in Luke where we have finished the infancy narrative. We've talked about Jesus. Luke has written about Jesus, the baby. And we haven't quite got to Jesus the man. Here in this latter part of Luke chapter 2, we're dealing with the boy, Jesus. Somewhere between infancy and childhood and manhood. And this progression, this passage from one to the other. It comes to us from verse 41 in chapter 2. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, that's the day out with the caravan, 
the day back to Jerusalem, now the third day, searching in Jerusalem for him, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or, equally good translation, about my father's business? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Father, by your Spirit, grant us, Lord, to know this word, to receive it. Lord, use it to grow us and to uh, increase our love for and uh, our walk with Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, this passage, as I said, is something of a verbal picture of Jesus' passage from childhood into manhood. That time we might call adolescence, I don't really care much for that term, it's called boyhood, or girlhood, but in Jesus' case it's boyhood. And the first thing we see in in that picture is a pair of godly parents. We've already seen them keeping the law of circumcision on the eighth day, Uh, the presentation of the first child, male child and the purification of the mother. We've seen all that in previous, uh, two weeks ago, we saw all that in a previous passage. Now we see them keeping the law of God uh, concerning males in Israel. And the law that required them to come to Jerusalem three times during the year for the three major feasts of Israel. And uh, this year, is apparently every year, it says that they were in the habit of going. They went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. They're making their way again. And several years ago, we studied uh, the uh, Psalms of Ascent and the Psalms, Psalms 120 to 134. And uh, the songs that these pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, would sing on their way to the feast in uh, in, in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph, I'm relatively sure, sang those psalms going and coming. And I can, I can hear Mary and Joseph ironically singing the last verse of the last of those psalms, Psalm 134, which goes, May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. And they're singing in the hope of that blessing coming. The irony is, he's there. (laughs) 
He's that 12 year old boy with them. The hope of Israel, the great blessing to come out of Zion. We don't know whether this was Jesus' first trip or not. There's, there's reason to think it might have been his first trip. But it was, and, and I'm not sure either about where it says according to custom. If that's the custom, they're talking about Mary and Joseph's custom of going annually to the pilgrimage. Or if it's the custom of the law uh, that, you know, required uh, that visit. Doesn't matter. Either one of them shows the godliness, the piety of Jesus' parents. He grew up in a good home where godly and obedient parents set good and godly examples before him. What a blessing to him. What a blessing to grow up in a good and godly home where parents set before you good and godly examples. What a blessing to grow up in such a home. What a blessing to, to provide such a home. Which raises a question, of course, how consistently do your ways and practices, your Christian ways, your Christian practices, match up to your Christian profession? Everyone who's a member of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church answered yes to those five questions Josh just asked. Making public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. How well in the four walls of your home is that profession lived out? before the eyes of the little ones within those four walls. Godly parents, first thing. Second thing, you see a normal, ordinary, everyday household that you and I can identify with. Parents. Have you ever left a child behind? Have you ever just gone off and left them? When I was in seminary, I, I was a full-time pastor, had a part-time job at the seminary, and had three and four kids, and later four kids. But I lived, I pastored a church about 25 miles out of Jackson, and we lived there in the manse. And so the boy, the older, two older boys and I would come into school together uh, every morning. I'd drop them off. Their school was not very far from seminary, and I'd go to class, come back pick them up on the way home and go home. And, and their little brother Sam wasn't old enough for school yet. He was three or four, four, I guess. And he had a friend also named Sam who was the brother of a classmate of our oldest son. And his classmate's mother asked one day, because he and this other Sam were big buddies. We also went to the same church, and they knew each other in, in nursery and, and in the four-year-old class. And, and uh, so they were buddies. And so the other Sam's mother said, why, why don't you just bring Sam in one day? I'll take him home with me. He and my, our Sam can play, and you can pick him up after seminary. She was in a carpool, so I'd have to go pick him up. Yeah. Set the day. 
brought them in and Sam, boy, the two Sams were just beside themselves and they saw them driving off. I went to class. That afternoon, Linda was making supper. Elizabeth was a little baby. She was doing whatever little babies do, crying, fussing, sleeping, whatever she was doing. Older boys were doing homework and and I was doing my homework too. We, we all studied. And uh, the phone rang. I was closest to it. I picked it up. This voice on the other end said, Did you leave something in Jackson today? What? And then all of a sudden I, I recognized the voice and I knew exactly who it was and exactly what I had done. Sam was still at their house. And it was supper time and she thought maybe I ought to come. Now, it's a 25 mile drive back to Jackson. And a 25-mile back. And nobody had missed him, though. I mean, just things were going on. We were doing minutes cooking, the baby's crying. I've got studies, I've got an exam tomorrow, whatever, and, and sermon Sunday, and, and all this, and the kids. Are... As an earlier time, we went to the mall one time before, long before Sam was, the, the older two boys. One of them was a baby, the other one wasn't much more than a baby. It was about two and a half, three. It was Christmas time, we went to the mall. Malls were new in New Orleans. This was only the second one, it was Lakeside. And we went to the Christmas decorations. We were looking at them, ooing and on. And it was Linda and me, and her sister was about, her baby sister was about 13 then, and, and the two kids. And one, one was a baby in arms, she had him in one of those sling things. And we stopped to look at this decoration. I looked at it, turned around and yelled. No kid. Richard was gone. And the place was crowded. I mean, there was a bunch of people in there. And she panicked. We started looking and didn't know whether to call for security or just what. You know, your heart stops. You're just, you're... And we were just about to run screaming to the security office. And, and the kind of the people parted. And he was about from here to Chuck. Thomas, there was a, a something in the window there that caught his attention, and he was just standing there. And so we did what parents do. We went and picked him up and hugged him and said, don't you ever do that again. You know. <laughs> they were normal parents. <laughs> Mary and, and Joseph. Uh, not only were they godly, they were utterly and totally normal. With all the normal emotions, fear, confusion, anger, all those things, you know, where is he? Is he safe? Is he, is he in trouble? You know, how could we? And then they find him. And as all good parents, they went to him and said, Son, how could you? <laughs> how could you do this to us? Your parents, your father, your mother. So about the time you're ready uh, to condemn Mary and Joseph, how in the world could they go off and leave their child? Be careful. You're going to condemn yourself before you're done. And there were extenuating circumstances. Jerusalem, I've heard, is probably about 25,000 people then. The estimates are there's anywhere from 100 to 250,000 people in the, that came into the city of Jerusalem or the town of Jerusalem 
at Passover? It's a bunch of folks. Easy to get lost for a 12-year-old to, to get lost. Uh, they also traveled in, in a caravan, uh, all from the same community, same area. They traveled together. And 12-year-old boys, where are they going to be with other 12-year-old boys? Uh, and, you know, I'm sure there were cousins along there. Uh, you know, just... Uh, and besides that, oftentimes the caravan, the women would go first, women and small children. And then the father and the older children, boys 12 and up, would walk behind. And, and the, the women would be up there and, and young children. The men would come behind. They could see anything going on and, and, and fix it rather than them going first and something like They'd come along to, to help out. But besides all of that, there was another uh, bigger reason why Jesus was left behind. It was so that you and I could see in the third place a boy maturing into a man. The infancy narrative, if you remember, closes with these words in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's important. The child grew and etc. etc. Now Jesus is twelve. It's the age at which boys were to be brought to Passover as preparation for their becoming thirteen when they became men. Uh, they, they were accepted then as men and with men's responsibilities. The boy Jesus, see, is developing. He's moving from, from, from childhood into boyhood into young manhood. And the whole point of this passage is contained in Jesus' response to Mary. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? There's a awful lot we can say about that. We don't have time to say everything about it or, or even most about it. Jesus is developing not only physically here in, in stature and strength those, that and the closing verse of this passage say but also in, in intellect and in spirituality covered by the word wisdom in both verse 40 and verse 52. He's growing. And it's probably the, the intellectual aspect that we all struggle with in considering Jesus growing into manhood. This is the omniscient God who knows everything, the end from the beginning. This is the unchanging, unchangeable God, the eternal God. Having to learn. To develop knowledge through process. Having to learn to talk. To walk. To do math. To read. 
He had to learn the law. Stop right there. Who gave the law? He had to be taught, just as you and I do. He had to learn many things by experience, as we do. My question is, how do you comprehend that? What do you do with that? I don't. I don't comprehend it. This this whole two natures in one person. God and man dwelling in one person and the interaction that's taking place. I try to get a handle on it. I've studied it. I've tried to teach it. At the end of the day, the only thing I can do is accept it on faith. And there's a lesson, I think, in all this. It's by grace through faith that you and I are saved. Not by knowledge. Not by understanding. Not by anything else. Grace through the instrument of faith. Here's Joseph and Mary. The angel had come to them. Each of them explained things to them, told them what was coming. They're astonished at Jesus' interaction with the men in the, in the, in the temple. And they don't understand Jesus' answer to them about being about his father's business or being in his father's house, the temple. Nor do you. <laughs> Nor do I. But Mary treasured, she stored up in her heart all those things that she didn't understand. She couldn't quite comprehend. So should we. Treasure them up and, and, and one day perhaps you'll be granted understanding. Mary came to understand a lot of these things. But if it does come, it won't be by your own understanding. First lesson. Second lesson, and this is for a narrow audience, it's for everybody, but if you're between the ages of 10, 11, 16 or so, somewhere in there, 10 to 16 maybe, it's particularly for you. Okay? It's important. Uh, You listen up. This is what I wish I'd known then, when I was your guys' ages. I wish someone had told me, and, and honestly, maybe somebody did, and like so many things they told me, <laughs> they just passed by in the night. I don't, think, I don't think anybody actually told me. You know what you're going through? At this time in life, things are changing. Your body's changing. Your voice is changing. 
your, your emotions, sometimes you sit there, why in the world am I laughing and cannot stop at something that's not funny? Why am I crying? What is wrong with me? And maybe you've discovered acne, or acne's discovered you. You're going through things that you don't understand. And you don't think anyone else does either. I mean, your parents, they're old people. <laughs> How would they know anything about this stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Here are two words. Two words. Write them down. Write them down, then memorize them. And then you tell yourself these two words time and again at every opportunity. These are probably the most important words you ever hear from me. Are you ready? Got your pencil? You ready? Two words. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Most beautiful words I can think to tell you about this whole process. He knows because he experienced exactly those things. He went through them, came out on the other side, and stayed. For you, for me. I'm going to say, I've said, I've said similar things to this and gotten in trouble for it. You say it anyway. I can imagine baby Jesus with diaper rash, with no problem. But do you think that boy Jesus, can, can you, can you imagine Jesus with a zit. It almost sounds blasphemous. I mean, it really does. You're talking about the Son of God. And we have trouble with that. Why, why do I think like that? Why do you think like that? It's because of the trouble you and I have grasping. How thoroughly, how completely God identifies with you and with me. In every struggle in this life, not just with boyhood, girlhood, with everything, with every struggle in this life. So I've talked to tweens and teens, but, but I was really talking to all of us. Because we're all in... We're all in process. We're, we're going through change and development. Now, a lot of it's uphill. And, you know, it's, it's getting better and better. And then some of us are on the other side. And 
are getting close to the chasm. But we're all experiencing life and approaching that point where we experience death. And at every point, at every point, you and I can say, Jesus knows. Jesus has been there. He went through life and he came out on the other side. Our crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, living, returning Jesus Christ. And you can take that to the bank. Well, ran out of time several minutes ago, I think. Here's a conclusion. A lot more that could be said, will be said at some point. In this picture, in these 12 verses, you see everything God meant for us to see. This is the sum total of our knowledge of the boyhood of Jesus. And you need to know nothing more about it. If you did, Jesus would have revealed it. Isn't that nice? You need not even comprehend all the ins and outs of the little you know. But but you must rest in him who experienced this life without giving in to it or to its sin so that you could experience and or so he could experience death, the penalty for you and my failure to do so. Do you see it? He was 12 years old. He went to Jerusalem for Passover. There's another account later in the Gospel accounts of Jesus making another trip to Jerusalem. It would be his final trip to Jerusalem and to the temple. And he was again to be about his father's business of saving the world from itself and its sin. Let's pray.